0: Yo, the name is Andrew Austin They call me Drake, last name Miles This is Mono A Mono And as always, I'll give you my two cents But it's up to you to make the fucking change Today I'm sitting with Nick Ward My good friend My fellow coach here at Oscar. Nick, how you doing, man? Doing good, brother.
1: Really appreciate you having me here and uh, happy to roll through and uh, hopefully drop a little bit of knowledge, gain some in return. Awesome. Spitball some ideas and chat a little bit about myself, you know?
0: I like it, man. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you coming on and doing it.
1: Well, I think it's a beautiful thing you're doing this and uh, I really have great admiration for, for the concept of it and everything and listen to a couple of the chats you've had thus far and good stuff. Thank very you productive very stuff.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What's uh, What do you got going on this week, man?
1: Oh, not too much, you know. Got a few days off from work, so I've been just chilling with the family, hoping to roll through here to the gym and uh, get some work in, you know, do some coaching, maybe a little bit of training. And, oh, yeah. You know, the usual, you know. The well, usual. Not not too much uh, glitter to my life, just,
0: you know. <laughs> Whenever you're not working, you're in here. Pretty
1: much. In here, trying to help out or spending some time with uh, with my daughter and my girl, Angela, and that's, uh, that's basically as good as it gets for me, you know. Nice, man. That's Living funny. the dream. Living the dream. That's it.
0: Family is very important to you. I know I I hear that. uh, No question. No question. Quite often. Yeah. What uh, what do you do for work, man?
1: I'm a PSW, actually. I work in one of the long-term care homes here in Own Sound. Something I would have never thought I'd be doing. You Mm -hmm. know, that'd probably be the last uh, fucking thing I would have imagined doing (laughs) if you had told me maybe five years ago or even, you know, maybe even three years ago. Wow. But um, I really enjoy it. It's something... The things that I went through in... You know, the last uh, few years and whatnot really culminated in me taking that um, that work approach. And um, it's just nice to be able to give back and be in a job where you're taking care of another human being. Right. And for me, you know, it really doesn't get um, more profound than that. That's kind of as good as it can get for really me. Fulfilling. Very much so. Because, you know, I, I used to work in security and, you know, I guard a building or, you know, whatever. And you know, it was just... I would go home and I'd feel pretty unfulfilled. You know, what what the fuck did I just spend 12 hours doing? You know, Mm -hmm. this is a little bit different. This kind of uh, feel a little bit better about it for sure. Nice. It's really, really tough to see because the lockdowns and everything, these people aren't able to have access to their families. So, you know, the nurses, the PSWs, the, the staff in the facility becomes their family. Yeah. You know, we're the ones they see every day. We're the ones they interact with every day of course we're not their actual family mm-hmm. it, it never fills that that um that hole that is longing in their hearts for their family and you know some of them unfortunately pass away you want to call it a broken heart whatever you want to call it but uh it's it's been pretty rough over the the course of uh the last year especially just watching Watching the toll that it's taken on on the residents and and whatnot in long term care, you know, and a lot of these people too, um, you know, they have cognitive impairments. They they don't really understand the veracity of the situation or understand even any part of it. They they don't know what's going on. All they know is, I used to see my family, you know, x number of, of, of times a week, mm-hmm. and now
0: I don't. They get into the routine, and for sure, and now they're and all of a sudden, boom! In the
1: blink of an eye, it's gone, and they're just kind of sitting there left wondering and wanting you know
0: so what kind of questions do you, would you get from these people well i mean
1: like some of them you know they don't even know where they are they'll ask where they are they don't even understand that they're in a long-term care facility et cetera, et cetera. but um you know uh, definitely as far as them wanting to see their family you just see the emotional toll that it could take so
0: that's horrible yeah well good for you man good for you for thank you giving these people that positive outlook and yeah, try to always you know. carrying that that positive energy.
1: Yeah, and that's all you really can do. You know, you got to do the best you can do with what you got, and it's tough in these times because we don't got much that we can yeah. work with. But uh, yeah, you just do the best you can,
0: and hope for hope for better times. That's pretty much soon. it. You know, <laughs>
1: hopefully there. Yeah, hopefully we're on the cusp of uh, some some better times. But yeah, for sure, man. We're on shaky ground still, from what I see. So
0: yeah, yeah, the numbers are going back up here too. Looks like yeah,
1: that's uh, that's what they tell me.
0: Oh my
1: God! <laughs> on and on it goes.
0: <laughs> so you're from uh, Wyarton originally, the big correct?
1: town of Wyarton, where big. men are men and half the women are too. <laughs> 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 oh no, it's uh, yeah. You know, if we roll the tape back to the the origin of uh, myself, April 6, 1990, a star was born in the big town of Wyerton.
0: Uncle Slick. That's it,
1: and. uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, very small town. I don't even know what the population is there, but when you grow up there it feels like about 100. Like, you know what I mean? Just real real small town feel, real small town community, everybody kind of knows everybody's business, you know, one of those uh rather annoying type places to live. Mm-hmm. Uh when you're young, at least you feel that way. <laughs> and um yeah, grew up there very blue collar type existence there. You know, my old man was a mechanic, uh, worked for my grandfather. He ran a farm equipment business um, that was pretty well known in the area and one of the biggest. Uh, My mom was a hairdresser and later she ran a a daycare in our house. And uh, so there was, you know, always kids coming and going and, you know, it was a pretty busy atmosphere. But yeah, just very blue collar um, upbringing and whatnot. Nothing, uh, you know, too fancy. You know,
0: so very good. Yeah. What was uh, what was going to school like for you? Oh, I
1: was a shithead. <laughs> I was <laughs> not much has changed, but uh, no, I was. Uh, I never got along really with uh, with school too well. I have a sister, two years older. She was always um, very, very good in school. She yeah. was always polar opposites as far as growing up. She was the good one. I was the the bad one for sure. So angel and the devil, pretty much. Yeah, that <laughs> that encapsulates it perfectly. But um, I I just had poor grades. You know, I was never... If it was in this day and age, I'm sure they would have probably said, you know, ADHD or whatever the fuck kind of diagnosis they give these days and probably want to... Actually, I believe they did probably want to put me on Ritalin. I think I heard my old man say something to that effect. And obviously, he shot that down. But, um, yeah, I just had no interest in school, you know? I was yeah. more... More concerned with causing trouble. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but from from the jump, I was always um a natural born um, troublemaker. Yeah. To say the least. You know? I Looking just for that adrenaline. Pretty much. I don't <laughs> know if it was, you know, I never really quite pinned down what exactly was the the uh the ignition behind that, if you will. But mm-hmm. uh Yeah, I just always would veer towards trouble if I had a bit of an authority complex too, you know, like Even though the household I was raised in was very like relaxed, you know, we didn't get beat or we didn't get. I don't even remember getting spanked, to be honest. My dad was real relaxed with that type of stuff. Um, So it wasn't an authoritarian household. It's not like I was rebelling against that. But in school, I hated to be told what to do by a quote unquote authority figure, you know. So if they told me to do this, I'd do the exact opposite. Hmm. Spent a lot of time in the principal's office and a lot of time suspended. and uh, Lots of
0: fighting and lots of...
1: Yeah, a bit of that as well, yeah. you know, and just always trouble, you know, always causing trouble. And so I didn't uh, do too well. I think if we go back through all my report cards, they all say the same, you know, Nick's an underachiever. He could do so much more. We see potential, but he just won't... Uh, just won't let
0: it out. Pull up the socks. Yeah. Pretty much, you know. Yeah. So I'm not sure really why. Yeah, sounds familiar, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you. I'm
1: sure you can relate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so did you did you start boxing in in Myerton? No, no. They, no such thing was was ever there. You
1: know, okay. no such thing was ever there. It. Um, I didn't start boxing until my, my journey to boxing was actually a, l- a little bit of a unique one because I started later in age and I'll get to that in, in a minute. But yeah, yeah. It, so it went from causing trouble, you know, in um, my youth to then, you know, I started like drinking at a real young age. You know, the old man had a liquor cabinet there would go in and I'd be, you know, eight years old and I'd be taken, you know, grab a Pepsi or whatever. And I'd, Throw some vodka in it, both my parents smoked at the time. They don't anymore. I'd grab a few smokes, head over to the park, trying to be a badass, I guess was part of it, you know, looking to be cool and um so that kind of and substance abuse is prevalent on both sides of the family, mainly alcohol, mm-hmm. so I fell into that um at a young age and you know started smoking weed at like probably around twelve. And so that was something that carried on, you know, into high school, got really, really bad into that. And one thing about Wireton, even though it's a very, very small community, um, the, the amount of drugs that I can't speak to how it is now. But then the amount of drugs and, and stuff you could get into was just unbelievable hmm. for, for how big of a place it is. And so, you know, dabbled with everything. Cocaine oxycontin you know meth uh, mushrooms every kind of drug you could take i was dabbling with and uh this is all still at very young age. very young you know like those ones came once i was in high school but you know right when you went into high school so 14 15 years old i'm I'm starting you know taking ecstasy and doing all these things and uh it really really spiraled out of control and that was just It's the company you keep too, you know, I'm hanging out with people who are doing this, I do it, it just seems, and then the thinking back, that's what I mean about being a shithead, you think back to what, you know, how were my days spent, my biggest thing was, you know, what are we going to get high on today and who's going to bring forth the money to get the job done, you know, I was more concerned with skipping class and, and finding somebody old enough to get us a case of beer than to go into class, you know? So definitely not, um this is, this is a cautionary tale for any yeah. young people who end up listening to this. I'm not...
0: I wish I heard this before high school. And that's the <laughs> thing. I'm
1: not telling this to glorify it in any way. You know, I, I speak very openly about it because this is what happened. I'm not going to be some fraudulent character and pretend that I was something I wasn't, you know? This is what it was, and any young people or whatever who end up listening to this, take this as a, a cautionary tale of, of what not to do, you yeah. know? That's my hope with it, at least. And so the, the drugs really continued, and in the end, it was oxys mostly, and it was just, you know, you're getting sick off them. You were pretty much full-on addicted to them, you know. If you didn't take them, you'd, you know, that's how opiates are. And so, you know, my family was very concerned. My sister went and told my parents, like, you know, he's going to die if he if he keeps, you know, going down this path and do it because she was obviously made privy to this. We she's a few years older, she's in the same school, she knows who I'm hanging around with, and she knows what's going on. Where my parents, you know, I think they were probably they knew, but they probably didn't maybe want to know to that extent and probably didn't think it had got to to that extent you know um and so they they kind of had like this uh intervention that they formed or whatever and sat me down and and you know they were they wanted to put me in rehab and it was actually my old man who stepped in and was like i went through the same problems working out and and you know these type of things got me out of it. I'm speaking to what he said, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said if he's anything like me, he'll do the same. We just need to get him focused more on these avenues, um, to, to get that aggression out, to get, you know, whatever it was that was making me want to do these things. Mm-hmm. So rehab was a no go. I didn't I didn't get put away and, and um he had faith enough in me to to take that approach and I did. So I started uh, lifting weights, I was probably maybe 17, 18 at this time, started lifting weights, started, you know, really focusing my energy and attention into that type of stuff, started running, and um, I started checking out fighting uh, in various forms, watching kickboxing, watching boxing, you know, this is when UFC was really blowing up. And so I used to watch quite a bit of MMA and, and UFC in particular, but I didn't gravitate towards it as much as boxing for whatever reason. And uh, boxing, I, I I was a big fan of Zab Judah, still one of my favorite fighters. And that was a, a guy, really started watching him in Mayweather. And, uh, and I said, you know, this is something really interesting. And I started watching how they train and watching documentaries on them and everything. And then I really, really became, uh, the only word that would be applicable would be obsessed. You know, I became obsessed with the sport with the history of the sport, it's the oldest sport we got. I mean, the history is just incredible. One day I'm sure we'll do a podcast and uh, I could probably talk for 10 podcasts on just the history of boxing. It's incredible. We'll start a little series up for sure. And I think for a lot of the young fighters and stuff today, it's, it's sad because some of that historicity of, of such a beautiful sport is lost. And, um, I'd really like to see them gain a little bit of more knowledge in that, you know, where this all comes from, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, so I started really focusing my attention into that, and I got, like, one of these little punching bags. You know, the ones with the numbers on them? It was yeah, like, yeah. And um, I think you guys might have one here, actually.
0: Somewhere, I can't remember. Yeah, and uh, I got sold it one up, of so.
1: those. And, man, this was, like, the most ghetto routine ever. It had, like, a weight-bearing pole in my basement that I used to t- hit. I'd set up... Um, uh, I had a pair of hand pads. I'd tape a, a hand pad to it here for a straight right hand. And I'd tape a hand pad here for a left hook to the body. <laughs> then I'd have to retape it to throw the left hook to the head. And I would just practice these combinations. And I had all my favorite fighters I'd watch, whether it be Tyson, Ali, And that's why, I mean, we've sparred together. My style is a little bit out there. It's a little all over the place. I can do different things because I spent so many years just emulating the fighters that I liked watching. I might Idolized, I man. might go and try to hit the bag and I'd be bouncing on my toes, popping the jab from my hip like Ali. Next day I might want to, you know, be shadow boxing or hitting the bag in more of a crouch, bobbing and weaving like Tyson, just kind of exploring these different things and the mechanics of them, you know? Mm. And uh and then finally it got to the point where I felt I was getting pretty good. And I was like, you know, took a look around at the the landscape of Weirton and said, you know, there's nothing here. There's no gyms. There's no, I I don't even know where the closest would have been. I think probably, you know, I don't even know actually where where the closest one was, but it was still a distance away. Like there was no own sound, had nothing at this time, no place, you know, that was in a close proximity had anything. So I was like, if I'm going to be serious about this, I got to make a move to, uh you know the city somewhere right i thought maybe you know london toronto something like that and then my sister's boyfriend at the time um he was going to go to school in niagara falls to niagara college um and he's like yeah i'm going to you know i'm looking for someone to you know be my roommate or whatever and and she was going to go too she was going to move in with him too so i was like you know maybe we can all go and so we we did and um I had been, you know, working a little bit and I had saved a little bit of money, but really fuck all in the grand scheme of things. But my parents had put away money um, for both my sister and I, and it was supposed to be for school. It was, you know, when you reach a certain age and you can take this money and you can go out and do what you see fit with it. Hopefully it would be for educational purposes. I was a little more interested in the school of hard knocks. And so that's what it was, uh, what it was going for. So we went, we moved in, started living in Niagara Falls and, um, went to Niagara Falls boxing club, shout out to them and Ron Gallon, coach Ronnie there. Um, really, really nice guy, really knowledgeable in the game. Um, you know, a, an old school boxing mind and, you know, he, he wasn't doing too well. His health was kind of failing, you know, he, he's still, he's still around. He was president of boxing Ontario actually for a while and, um, But he had some health issues and whatnot, so he wasn't as hands-on and as active, you know. And uh, went in there and started, you know, training. And they, you know, they could tell by obviously watching me. I had, you know, done some training at some capacity. I was no slouch. I already knew, again, the mechanics of it. I wasn't just some guy coming in flailing punches like a fool. Yeah. And um, so they, you know, said, like, you know, have you fought before or anything? I said, no, no, I just I did some training on, on my own for, you know, probably two years, maybe three years. Um, So, you know, I thought I was pretty good and whatnot, and I just needed to get in and spar and see how it went. And uh, so I remember the first time I got into spar, and it was with two guys. um, They were way bigger than me. I think at that time I was like probably maybe 135, you know, soaking wet with boots on. (laughs) And um, I get in with these guys. I think they were maybe 170 and 190 each one had maybe, you know, 60 fights apiece, 80 fights, something like that. 60 to 80 fights. And um yeah, they weren't really turning it on like beating the fuck out of me or anything, but uh everything I would go to do, they had a counter for. Nothing worked. And I was like, man, you know, here I thought I was pretty nice with the hands and I, you know, knew a thing or two and Got him with an experienced guy, and it was neutralized. Everything was neutralized. Wow! I was like, "What the fuck happened?" This is a lot different than shadow boxing in the mirror. This is a lot different than hitting the bag. All of a sudden, these guys are catching and countering, and just nothing worked. Shut everything down that I had, and so I remember going home that night and being like, "This is kind of crazy. Like I'm, I uprooted my whole life to take on this this task, and um." And I'm dead serious about it. And this is because I had thought, you know, I'm going to fight as an amateur. I'm going to then turn professional. I had this whole kind of um, scheme laid out and it almost got shut down right then and there. It it shook me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. And so I sat down and I was like, this is kind of crazy. Like these guys just shut down everything I, I did. So I sat and I thought about it and I'm like, fuck, I can't just I can't just go back home. Say, ah, I gave it the old college try, you know? It, it didn't go my way, and I got to jump ship now. So I was like, you know what? That's just one sparring session. I do another, and another, and another. And uh, like I always say, I'm sure you've heard me say, you know, you'll be the nail lots of times, and, and the other guy will be the hammer, and eventually you'll get to be the, the hammer, and the other guy will be the nail. Mm-hmm. I was the nail a long fucking time, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, that's the way it is. You know, I had a... a good sparring partner he was a professional boxer scott paul and he was kind of in semi-retirement at that time but he would come in he'd help us out tremendous help and he'd move around with us and um, he busted my rib up pretty good and uh you know taught me to keep that elbow in and some good lessons so we were fortunate enough to have um guys like that but it was a real it was kind of like You know, everybody there was just there out of the kindness of their heart and because they love boxing, you know, they all had jobs that they worked and they would come in and try to help out. So it was eh, maybe not the best structure, but they did the best they could, you know. And so I had my first eight fights um, with Niagara Falls Box Club and with Ron. Nice. First fight was in Welland and um, that was where I first got my feet wet. I look back at it now and I'm like, who's this fool jumping around in the ring? There, (laughs) just all over the place, you know, a little Jack in the box. (laughs) But um, yeah, I had about eight fights with Ron and then it got to the point where I was like, you know, I think even though it's a a good gym and everything, they didn't have a lot of fighters around my weight. So I was mainly doing, you know, getting rounds with uh, this guy, Scott, you know, and, um, but he wasn't active and, so then there was Billy the Kid Irwin's gym, former world champion. You know, one of the most well-known guys in in boxing in Canada, especially throughout the '90s and whatnot when he was fighting. You know, he was very well known, brutal fucking left hook, and you, you can still look up his highlights on YouTube and see what I'm talking about. And I knew he had a den of killers. He had a ton of guys. Lucas Body, who's now undefeated professional, probably going to be the next big thing in boxing one of the best I've ever been in with, you know, <laughs> Michael Abrascotto, all these guys who were just, these were, you know, great fighters. And right around my weight, everybody was raiding around. And I was like, I think I got to make the the jump to go over there, to go to Billy's and, and kind of um, that that's what was needed, I think, to take the next step. You know, I, I was really serious about it and you know at Niagara Falls Boxing Club I had taken a few fights even I think my last fight I didn't really have any sparring for it it was kind of just I came in did the best I could get the best work you could and it was you know it wasn't that hard sparring element that you need especially as you're coming up um you know once you get to be an open class fighter after 10 fights you know you got to sharpen up because you could be you might be on your 11th fight and you could fight a guy 30 fights deep 40 fights deep you know so you definitely need that that element, and you need good fighters around you so i I made the jump over over to Billy's, and in hindsight, you know hindsight is twenty twenty and um I should have probably handled it a little differently. I think I kind of left rather abruptly from Niagara Falls boxing club, and Ron wasn't like I said he wasn't in the best of health at the time he was doing kidney dialysis and and stuff, and um, I don't know if I really said the proper goodbye type thing and and you know, told him that I really appreciated what he had done for me and, and this type of stuff. So I'm I'm a little disappointed with myself that that uh that relationship was left that way. So that's something I maybe have some regrets about. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, then I went over to, to Billy's. I remember going there the first day and with a hangover uh i don't i don't recommend it <laughs> uh, with a hangover and uh jumped in with uh with my boy lucas and you know one of the sharpest fighters i've ever been in with and that's even without a hangover so it wasn't a good day for me i think we only did like two rounds and i was like all right fuck i gotta that that was the reminder that I, now i gotta really step my You're game sharpen up. the pencil yeah <laughs> gotta gotta yeah absolutely gotta sharpen up and kind of because even then, you know, like when I first got to Niagara Falls, again, being a kid from Wyerton, where there's, you know, it's a one horse town, there's yeah. nothing going on. And all of a sudden I'm in Niagara Falls, I'm down on Clifton Hill, everything's booming. And I kind
0: of got a little carried away, you know, I was, I was going to ask you that. What was it like coming from oh, Wyerton, you yeah. know, having some drug problems, going through high school and everything, and then. Being exposed to the the lights.
1: Got a little carried away,
0: (laughs) a little carried away, mostly
1: with the booze, actually. But yeah, I I got a little carried away and was just kind of really just drinking heavy again. And it was like even while training, you know, so that was really something that was just sticking with me. And I was like, it it took so long to try to clean that up. And I think it wasn't probably until I was at Billy's that um, that that started to taper off, you know. think it was probably still there a little bit but definitely not as much because then i was uh, sparring every day with better quality guys and guys who you had to be you would get knocked the fuck out if you didn't have your your stuff on point and Mm -hmm. that's just how it was like you know these guys were playing for keeps they we weren't in there you know messing around Mm -hmm. and um because you know these guys were on the national team they were really really good fighters and almost every one of them now is, is very good professionals, you know? And, um, so yeah, I started training there with all these guys and I started having, um, some fights with Billy and I started trying to maybe change my style a little bit. I started getting more aggressive that that was based on Billy's teachings. He was a aggressive minded fighter, you know, walk you down, tight guard, look to catch and shoot. And, um, So I I flirted a little bit with that, and it was actually with that style that I was able to win um, the, I think it was 2015 uh, Silver Gloves Tournament for the Novice Division. It was like my last novice fight, I think, and um, had two fights, fought a guy from Dwight Frazier's gym first, and uh, I think beat him by decision, and I was just walking him down. I was a little stronger than he was, and the kid was trying to stick and move, didn't work. And then I fought this other kid, I think, he, he was somewhere out of Toronto, I forget where. And he's sticking and moving, down. I'm walking him down, taking this more aggressive approach, and I'm losing the rounds. And you know he's, But I could see he's getting tired, and every time I'd touch him, I'd hurt him. And uh, I think he came down to, it was either the second round or the last round. And I, I had him pinned in the corner, threw a left hook right hand, busted his nose blood everywhere things just pouring like a faucet right ref jumps in and stops it so i was able to win on a tko so that was pretty nice you know and that was um and that was where that style kind of worked you know other times it didn't (laughs) work so but yeah i got to to win that tournament that was nice and got to go um we fought in pittsburgh which was a interesting experience to say the least and uh Probably the toughest fight I ever had. The kid was a, a killer man. Rick Carter was his name. I think he must be uh he must have turned pro now, but he was a hell of a fighter. Punched like a fucking mule kicks. Yeah. And the gloves were the most ghetto oldest things. Like I put them on and I'm like, you could feel your knuckle through these. Like <laughs> they were so beat up. I want to see a show. Oh <laughs> man, they must have wore those in the forties. It was like crazy. But With the uh, thumb detached. Oh yeah. I was just ghetto old school gloves. And um, but yeah, to you know, that was like the extent of where I, as far as traveling, if you want to call that internationally, we were supposed to go to, um, I think the Dominican for a show, but then some other things happened. And so, yeah, so I'm in Niagara Falls at this point, I'm boxing, um, I'm working in, I got a job at, uh, the Days Inn, the probably shittiest place I had ever worked. It was just, Every day was a shit show there. And I was like, um, I got hired as a a houseman, which is essentially you're like a janitor in a way. You know, you're mopping the floors. You're doing all this kind of stuff. And I had also got my security license. I just got it online. I was like, oh, maybe it'd be something kind of interesting. I might want to do whatever. And they also needed a security guard. So I worked a, a dual role there. And that's where I met uh, Angela, the love of my life, you know, the best woman I, I know. <laughs> and uh, she worked at the front desk.
0: And That's where you spent most of your time?
1: That is That was this my area. I, I used to just go around there mopping. And and I'm sure she probably knew it was funny. This guy's been mopping the same spot for like a fucking hour trying to talk to me. And, and nothing else is getting done. There's so
0: One big clean spot. Pretty the rest much. Of the yeah, th-
1: I'll tell you, near her spot was the cleanest spot you could have because that's where I spent my time. But, um, yeah, needless to say, I was not a a model employee. I was not the best (laughs) thing they had there, but that was where we met. She had a boyfriend at the time. And I always like to tell the story that, you know, she chased me. But of course, in in truth, I was the pursuer in in this equation. And, um, I remember I came, it was around Christmas time and I came home to spend some time with my family and I was like, "You know i there's this beautiful girl who I work with, and I'm gonna go ask her out, and I'm gonna do you know talking all big, and then ended up going back and didn't do shit. <laughs> she ended up having to pretty much approach me and and so yeah, so we got uh got together and whatnot and and um it was really, really nice because you know we just we were both really carefree at the time, and it was I think around this time when we got together, it was summertime. This is probably, again, 2015, I guess. It's summertime, Niagara Falls. We spent most of our days just drinking, laying in the sun when we weren't working. Because in Niagara Falls, it's like, it's booming in the summertime. You know, in the wintertime, it's a fucking ghost town. Yeah. But in the summertime, so we're working all the time. But when we do have time, we're just hanging out. We're drinking. We're we're going out at night. Just living the, the dream, you know, living that young life. And, uh, and then we started taking things a little more serious. We got a place together on Stanford Avenue in Niagara Falls. And, um, so we moved in and then I think it was right around this time that she found out, um, that she was pregnant or she suspected that she was pregnant and, uh, she took a pregnancy test and I, I believe it said positive positive. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I, I was actually like overjoyed. It was the weirdest thing because you know this wasn't a planned thing. So I run to Shoppers. It's just around the corner. I grab like three more and come <laughs> back, and they are positive. And I'm like, "Fuck! I got to be sure though." So I grab a glass and I tell her here pee in this glass, and I'm gonna put the thing in. And she's like, "No, don't be gross." Don't. <laughs> and um, just they to see all, it for your own eyes, just to see it for my own eyes, and to make sure they were working. And sure enough, she was pregnant. And I was like, you know, you don't know how you'll take something like that. Uh, She was much more freaked out than I was. She was like, I don't blame her. Probably thinking, like, this is the guy I'm with, this fucking lunatic. And and, and now I'm pregnant. And uh, I was just overjoyed. I'm calling my mom, you know, calling my dad to tell them. And I never... Never, never thought twice about it. I just thought this is this is, feels good and this is meant to be and this is what it is, you know. Hmm. Even though it wasn't planned, it wasn't something structured that we set out to do.
0: And um, sometimes the most beautiful things in life, man, is that right there, right? Absolutely, and I couldn't have said it better.
1: And and that's what it was. And so we, um, you know, we started going to the the doctors and seeing, you know, and the belly starts getting bigger and and uh, we find out it's a boy. And um on June tenth, um, two thousand sixteen, uh, my son, Alexander Nicholas Bruce Ward, was born. It's a beautiful name, man. Which is also Angela's birthday. He was born on her birthday. Oh wow. So they which is you know pretty That's crazy pretty rare, yeah. So they share a birthday. Yeah. It's um obviously a very important day. And she knew because he was what they call breached, he was like, um, he was upside down, he wasn't facing the right way, and so first she went in and they induced her, um, induced labor, and this was in St. Catharines, and um, it, she, she knew, she's like, he needs more time to cook, you know, so to speak, he needs more time in there, she's like, I know, and uh, so he didn't come on that day, and he ended up coming via... Uh, c-section and you know every, everything was good everything went smooth he came out and you know here you're looking at at your baby and it's like it's just such a a surreal moment you know you don't really it's not something that you can really plan for you know that that type of uh emotional feeling and again in hindsight it's like I don't think I took it serious enough you know and that's something that kind of bothers me and sticks with me. You know, it just I didn't take many things that serious back then. I feel like I have a much different approach now, and obviously, you,
0: sorry, man. Do you think the relationship with like the dealing with addiction and, and substance has something to do with that?
1: I wonder. You mean like maybe like chemically the relationship?
0: Altered. Yeah, like you have maybe that portion of your brain is taken over by the thought of the next time.
1: That is an interesting concept. You know, I, I don't know. I never really thought of it like that. But there there could be a correlation there, to say the least. It could very well be. You know, hmm. it's, it's all oxytocin and all those, you know, feel-good chemicals involved. So, I mean, it, it, there could be something to that. Yeah. But I think it was more so that I was just, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't take it as... What it was like, the beauty of it, and and I just have a much grander vision of life now, and and what is important, and just even the ability of a woman to be able to give birth to a child is like such a fucking surreal thing. It's amazing, right? And so here he was born, and it, it was just beautiful, and we fell into our little routine and whatnot, and you know I used to just lay in bed and hold him, and it was. I just thought, like, this is the best thing that could happen. You know, I was going to the gym, I was training, I was working, I had my baby boy, and uh, that, for me, was as good as, as life was going to get. I just thought this was a really, really great thing, you know. My parents at this time lived still in Wireton, Um, as did the majority of my family. I think really everyone still lived there, and it was just, you know, me and Angela, who lived in, in Niagara Falls and Alexander. And... Um, and then we had um, an appointment at the pediatrician's office or whatever, and they were measuring his head and just going through like the regular routines or whatever. And they thought the circumference of it was like a little big, and um, they thought maybe it was a little worrisome or whatever. So I think I'm trying to think of exactly how it happened, they they set up an appointment somewhere else. I think we it was for an ultrasound, I believe, on his head because they were a little concerned with um, with the circumference of it. You know, babies always have that soft spot there. And his was kind of um, like growing in. And so we go to St. Catherine's and, um, you know, we're not really thinking too much of it. I was even kind of joking at the time because I had a huge melon when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe it got my head. And it was just like kind of a, we joked it off. And uh, we go in there and they give him uh, his ultrasound or whatever. And we're not really knowing what's going on. And next thing you know, they're calling, um, I think it was over like the the PA or whatever we heard. And they were arranging for um, like a lift, like um, an ambulance or whatever to take him to Hamilton, to McMaster Hospital. And we're just like, what the fuck is going on? You know, we were kind of kept in the dark on it and so i'm just like you know we're trying to get answers and everything and um we knew it was probably pretty serious they you know they didn't they seemed they seemed concerned and when you see that obviously you know you know these are people who deal with this stuff every day or whatever the case and they're seeming rather concerned i know an ultrasound doesn't show you know the full scope of everything but it was enough to to alarm them you know we knew something was up and so we're kind of like panicking, you know, and but not knowing what exactly we're panicking about. Like it was a really bizarre situation, and we go to McMaster Hospital in Hamilton, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves there. And I believe um, I called my parents, and they were like, "We're on our way," and so they came down and. We go in, and I, they took him in, I think, for, um, I believe, an MRI, something to that effect. And um, and this was, like, it was getting late at night. We're all sitting around. We're tired. We're worried as fuck. We're, like, you know, we're wondering what is happening. Finally, he's out of his MRI or whatever, and we sit down with... Um, uh, I believe she was a surgeon, Dr. Singh was her name, and she was uh, a neurosurgeon, I don't know if we knew that at the time, obviously we, we became well acquainted with her after, and so we sat down, and uh, it was just, you know, I can remember it like it was yesterday, it was the worst moment of my life, you know, and she said, um, Alexander has a brain tumor, just like that, it was matter of fact, and it was and she just said he he has a brain tumor, and I we were obviously stunned. I just immediately started crying. I, I couldn't control myself in any aspect. I just let it all out. You know, I was just I never felt such a feeling like that. Like I wanted to run away. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I just wanted to fucking curl up in a ball and hide from the world. It was like the worst fucking. <laughs> feeling ever, you know, and I'm not that type of guy, I'm more of a type to stand and deliver, I'm not going to run from, you know, and I just wanted to fucking curl up in the fetal position and die, and I just completely started bawling my eyes out, I was just like, and and you know, a million thoughts going through your head, and Angela, you know, I look over at her, and she's just blank, a blank stare, she remained stoic through it all, she just fucking didn't blink, didn't anything, and she was just maybe in shock, and and just taking it all in, but she didn't cry, she didn't just, she just stood there like a statue, and I remember seeing my dad out of the corner of my eye, and he's kind of like fucking just slumping down in his chair, and just completely devastated, I think my mom was probably crying as well, and the doctor sits there, and she's Drawing out a fucking diagram of of his brain Or whatever it looks like And and we're not even retaining any of this information All I hear is like a fucking deafening in my ears Like you can't even really explain the feeling And that was kind of the meeting was over And we weren't going home He was going to be staying there And I remember going outside And just kind of yelling to the fucking To the sky you know I I was crying and I was saying, he's just a fucking baby. Mm-hmm. How how could this happen? Why is this happening? All the questions that seem very predictable and, you know, that everyone would ask and that anyone would ask, you know, how how could this happen?
0: But they don't really mean it until they're in a situation exactly. like that. When, like-
1: and yet, and I always find it so funny, like up until that point, I don't remember ever yelling to the sky saying, thank you for everything that's so good. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as shit went sideways, I'm there and I'm fucking shaking my fist. And, you know, why me? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't there to do it in in grateful times. And Mm -hmm. probably should have been. And, uh, And this is what started this fucking journey of just in and out of the hospital. I mean, we stayed there sometimes for like, months on end you know we stayed in um ronald mcdonald house so it which is a great place like if i ever like of all the donation places that's a great one being as someone who's used it a buddy of mine used it um when his son was sick as well it's a really really great thing like they put you up in this beautiful place it's you know a few bucks a day like if you ever had to pay for a a hotel or something months on end you'd be fucking broke yeah you wouldn't be able to you'd have to just sleep in the hospital which we did but usually it was there was lots of nights we both slept in there and then there was some nights where it was just like okay one of us has to go and just go shower go you know and you're just eating this shitty fucking food you're eating you know fast food places or the cafeteria in the hospital you're just living this like terrible fucking lifestyle that just you feel not only is the emotional um the the stress and everything taking an emotional toll and just breaking you down every single day you're fighting with each other and that's another thing i mean you're you're in this situation and you, there's only you know it was me and angela and then my parents were there initially but then they had to go back you know to their house and they actually ended up selling their house to come and be with us wow and I actually got fucked on on um on selling it like they they took they could have got a lot more for it you know they 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 basically took a lot less just to make it happen fast and you know i'm very grateful that they did that that's a definitely a a beautiful self-sacrificing move you know for the greater good and um just so they could be there as support and they actually moved to niagara falls Hmm. and then spent you know the majority of the time with us in either ronald mcdonald house or the hospital and so it was just us four. It was me, Angela and my parents and that and and Alexander and watching him go through all this fucking shit so he had to have a brain surgery right away. They had to go in and 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 resect part of this tumor and they told us, you know, this big fancy name, anaplastic ependymoma. That's the tumor he has. So we're trying to Google it or whatever. Turns out it's extremely rare. They told us we would have been better we would have been more likely to have won the lottery twice. Wow.
0: And so they said that to you. Yeah. She and
1: said. so you're sitting there and you're thinking, not only do you get the shit end of the stick on having your child have a, a cancerous brain tumor, you know, cause initially that was one of our hopes was, well, maybe it's not cancerous, you know, um, maybe it's benign. Obviously it wasn't, it, it was cancerous. And, is this very rare tumor, and then it starts becoming very apparent that they don't know fuck all of what to do with it. Wow, They were using him almost as a test subject. They weren't equipped to deal with it. They knew that, but neither was sick kids in Toronto. Neither was any of the options. They hmm. just didn't have a lot of data. And as far as people who survived it, forget about it. It was, fuck all in the way of that. Mm -hmm. And so it just was awful. It was the closest thing to being in hell that you can imagine, you know, day in, day out of living like that. And of course then, you know, I'm just trying to hit the booze as much as I can. I'm trying to, I'm really, really ashamed of the way I conducted myself in those times, you know, but... And the pain you were dealing with. The pain I was dealing with was unreal. And this is why, you know, Angela, she's like the epitome of strength. She, you know, she should have been the boxer, not me, because (laughs) I fell apart. I couldn't face it. I had to look for courage in a bottle, or I had to look for, you know, some type of uplifting thing in a substance. She didn't. (laughs) She was just there for her baby and, and for me, and she picked me up off the fucking ground time and time again. And I'm so grateful to her for that. And I'm forever indebted to her for, for such a thing, you know. And I never forget that, that she was the one who who picked me up when I was down. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't return the favor. I couldn't even take care of myself. So here she's got this dying child. And she's got me, who, is, who might as well be a child. I've just completely fallen apart. I've lost my way. And the only time I would rise to life, so to speak, was when I had to do battle with these fucking doctors and fight with them every single day to get anything done. Because and that was another part of it too. Like they they wanted, you know, all these pills and this and that. They pushed chemotherapy. We we tried chemo to begin with, and we did one round of it. And I said, No fucking way are we doing this? It was killing them. It was just We had to even give him oral chemotherapy that we gave to him at home. And I thought, you'll never know how that feels to put something like that down your child's throat. Yeah. Thinking, you you don't know what to do. You're thinking this will help. All you want to do is, all you want him to do is live. Mm -hmm. And you'll do anything. It was right then and there that I learned what true love was because unless you're willing to give your life, for someone. And if they had a told me at any point in time. Yeah. All, it's easy. You just got to. We'll kill you and he'll live. Done. In the blink of an eye. I wouldn't have hesitated once. Wow. And up until that point, of course, I had never felt that. There mm-hmm. was nobody I would have done that for. But I wouldn't have thought twice. I would have definitely sacrificed myself for him. As would my father. As would Angela. As would any of us have done. But that's not. The way it goes that's not reality and so we tried with, with chemo he had numerous brain surgeries i got a picture of him with a fucking huge scar on the back of his head where he was sewn up after they had taken pieces of his brain out and Shoot. and then it just wasn't getting any better and we got to take him home Few and far in between, very briefly, at one point we just said to them, you know what, they wanted him to have a surgery, and Angela was like, no, we're taking him home. He needs to have some time at home with us. And we went home, and he had a great week. I think it was a week or something. We were home, and he had a great week, and he, you know, it's so hard to say what kind of pain he was in and stuff, and that's really what hurts me more than anything is just, you know, what type of a a life did he have the little bit of life he had? What type of life was it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I'm always thinking about that. What did he feel? You know, and now I have my daughter and she's a spitting image of him. It's a constant reminder. And when I see her making these strides, you know, talking, walking, et cetera, et cetera, he never got to do any of them. Wow, man. He couldn't. They were taking pieces piece of his fucking brain out. Yeah. He never had a chance. And so... You know, we had that one good week or whatever, and then we go back in the hospital, and on and on it goes. It just kept going like this. And finally, I forget exactly when it was. You know, I'm, I'm so terrible. I think I've repressed a lot of it. You know, I just don't even want to fucking remember some parts of it, mm-hmm. but I'm terrible with the dates and stuff anyways. Angela can tell you every <laughs> every day he was, where he was on what days, and she's has a beautiful memory for that. But um, eventually he slipped into a coma. And he he was... I remember we went... My my parents came to the hospital and we went... Me and Angela went to Ronald McDonald House. We were going to have breakfast and take a shower or whatever. And my dad calls us. And he was having some type of an episode. Alexander was. He he was choking on phlegm. Something like that. And we go over... And he's still choking. They're trying to suction the stuff out. And I'm thinking, like, what the fuck is happening? And they rushed him over to intensive care. And he lapsed into a coma. And then he was on a breathing tube. He had every fucking thing that you could imagine hooked up to him to keep him living, essentially. And I remember I was thinking about this the other day of how you do lie to yourself. You you delude yourself to, to believe there's still a chance. Like I was in this to win this right until the fucking very last moment. I never thought he was going to die. Hmm. Yeah, lying to myself. In hindsight, I know I lied to myself. I had to have known. But when he was in a coma and they showed us and said, you know, here's here's this machine and here this line here, a green line, let's say, that's the machine breathing for him. And if you see a little purple line, let's say it was, you know, few and far in between, you'll see one. That's him taking a breath on his own. And I'd get like so excited if I'd see one. And, you know, come on, like, come on, buddy, you can do it. It was never going to happen. He was dying. This was the end. The end was coming. And I couldn't face it. I was taken. we tried, um, they wanted to push a lot of their fucking pharmaceuticals on him morphine whatever it was and we weren't having it so we started using cannabis and we started getting um have you heard of phoenix tears yep really really strong stuff and um we started um in in the end we were actually making suppositories to go like in his um, rectum to give him the cannabis because he had breathing tube and everything and that was one of the ways that you could get it in And, you know, you see people out there, oh, it has the power to shrink tumors. Look, I I can't speak to that. For him, it didn't, right? But this was a very fucking aggressive tumor. It was already out of control. So does that type of stuff work on cancer and stuff? Maybe for some people. I, I, I can't say that it did for us, obviously, but maybe for others it did. But even for pain management, we said, let's do this. I don't want him all fucking doped up on these pills. And they were so mad. They wanted to know what we were giving them. And I was really starting to lose it near the end, and you know when you're dealing with a father in that dire state, some things could happen if you push them too far. Luckily, nothing like that happened. But um, we were using that, and I was taking these phoenix tears. I was fucking eating them and just getting gooned out of my mind. I just, I, I couldn't face any of it. And like I say, I must have known. The end was coming, and so I was just pretty much wrecked every day. I was just fucking gone i didn't want to face any of it. I just wanted to be in this constant numb state mm-hmm. where you don't have to think about it you don't have to think about emotions because you're just you're just like a zombie mm-hmm. you know you're moving around, but there's nothing there yeah and then finally, um it was August fifth. Um, 2018 I guess it was And I was in the room we were all in the ICU room and uh, I was passed out. I had taken phoenix tears probably drinking I was passed out on this little couch And I wake up and it's my mom And she's shaking me and, and trying to wake me up and she says uh I believe she said peanut's not doing too good that's what his nickname was peanut and she's crying and um and i have a pretty good feeling that there's something very serious going on and i snap to to being sober very quickly and i go out into like the main room um where he was and i believe at that time Angela was holding him he's got these fucking tubes in him and and uh, it, all the things on the machine are falling blood pressure, heart rate. His heart rate was down to nothing. And they keep coming in and they're telling us um, that he's dying. This is it. Fuck. And they keep coming in and, and, you know, taking the stethoscope and listening for a heartbeat. I think finally it got down to two beats a minute. And uh they came in, and they said he's gone, and the first thing I said was, "Get these fucking tubes off my son so I can hold him,
0: yeah, fuck man, I'm so sorry,
1: hey, it's it's the most <laughs> tragic thing you can even imagine,
0: yeah that, I've never heard I've never sat across from somebody and talked about something like that, man like that's
1: and that's usually what I get most people you know and and the worst part is like. He, he was diagnosed at four months. They they told us after that the tumor was most likely growing when he was in his mother's belly. Wow. Which is just unfucking believable right? You can't even fathom this kind of stuff. And they tell us that... So they, they yanked the tubes off him, and I grabbed him, and he took his last breath over my shoulder while I held him. And then we sat him on the bed, and... We just sat there and looked at him. My dad had made arrangements because my uncle owns a funeral home in Sabo Beach. So we were going to have him come and get him. Keep it all in the family. We were fortunate enough to have someone who was in that profession in our family. And uh, my uncle, my old man, rode back to Wyrton with him. And he sat in his car seat and they took the the last ride with him, you know? And uh, and that was it. And you know, I'll never forget, as long as I live, that when I walked out the fucking doors of McMaster Hospital, it was all done. He was gone. And we walk out, and I take a look around at the world, and nothing had changed. People were going to work. Doctors and nurses coming in the hospital. My whole life was ruined. My whole life had collapsed. But the external world was the same. Mm -hmm. The wind was still blowing. You know what I mean? Not that it's like nobody knew what had happened or cared, maybe. But that happens every day. Right here, right now, somebody's life is falling apart and being ruined in that same circumstance. And we're here talking, you know, and it's just, it's such a, I don't know what it was about that, but I, I thought about that. It was like, I expected to come out and see the sky filled with fire or something, you know, I just expected the whole world to have fallen apart, but it didn't hmm. just mine did, in internally, you know? Yeah. And then we went and we, we lived, uh, at my grandma's for a little bit, um, and we obviously got ready for his funeral. And that was, you know, tough. And, uh, and a buddy of mine throughout this whole thing with, um, you know, with helping me out and getting the Phoenix tears and being a huge major support was my boy, James Bishop. I want to give a shout out to him. He was such a, a fucking good support system and good help in those times. And, you know, recently he had some issues with, with his child and, and, you know, um, I just want to let it be known that that's a, he's a good man. Definitely my brother through and through and, uh, was a real, real tremendous, um, help going through all that. That being said, we get ready for his, um, his funeral. And I, obviously that was going to be, you know, heartbreaking. And I wrote out his eulogy and, and, um, you know, I sat there thinking, like, who would have ever thought you were going to be here writing, he's supposed to write mine. Yeah. You know, you're never supposed to bury a kid. It's the most unnatural thing you can ever go through. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote out his eulogy. And, and, and what I said in it, I, I still think to this day, I said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, everybody in in this room um, and whatnot, you know, you'll think it's heartbreaking and and you'll think about it maybe today and probably tomorrow and it might even last you for a week i'm going to live with this forever mm-hmm. and i'm not going to stand up here in front of you all and, and and cry but i'll have times in darkness and silence the rest of my life where i'll do that and i do mm-hmm. and um it just it was unfucking believable and then we went to the cemetery And it started raining just before we put him in the ground. Wow. It started raining and we put him in the ground. And once he was in, it stopped raining and a little rainbow appeared. And I thought it was weird at the time. And I still think it was weird and you can call it whatever, you know, you think it was, you know, I'd like to think in my own, grand vision of things that it was him kind of giving me the thumbs up that he was okay, you know? Now, whether or not there's one shred of truth to that is beyond me.
0: No, yeah, I believe in it, man.
1: It's beyond any of us, but that's, you know, <laughs> call it a coping mechanism. It could very well be. I'm very honest with myself in those things. You know, I like to think that that's what it was, but I could be deluding myself, but it was, it was bizarre.
0: Yeah. Well, you coming out of the hospital and having that thought, of, you know, like thinking you're going to see the sky full of flames and this anger inside of you. Maybe yeah. that was him right there, you know, could've letting been. you yeah. realize all these people are going on with their life and everything, you know. Yeah.
1: And it uh, could have easily been, you know. And it's just such a, I, I don't wonder about why anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I gave up on on wondering why it happens. Because we can't know. Do I think everything happens for a reason? Starting to. You know, I believe to a certain extent in a deterministic universe a mechanistic one where it's like knocking over dominoes. And once that first one is every single domino will fall when it's supposed to fall in its formation and on and on it goes. Mm -hmm. I can't see the why of it. You know, can I say that good things came out of it? Certainly they did not the good things I wanted. I would have rather had him and been miserable the rest of my fucking life you know, and it was actually right before Alexander had passed away that Angela found out she was pregnant and, you know, obviously with this tense situation and whatnot, it's not like we were, you know, being romantic with one another often or even seemingly at all. So we were like, this is bizarre in and of itself, you know, Hmm. and and then before he had passed, I believe we had found out that that it was a going to be a, a baby girl. I'm not sure if we had found that out at that time, but um, but yeah, we found out that that our daughter was was coming along, and um, and I mean, just thinking about that emotionally here, you know. Speaking of Angela, she's burying a child, and she's growing another one in her stomach at the same time, like, she handled it so well. Like I said, the epitome of strength, I can't even say enough, um, uplifting and and kind things about her because it was just incredible what she did, you know, the way she dealt with it. I really wish I could have been that strong, but for me, it was like, you know, I'm a fighter, um, someone who, who believes that, you know, I can be in control of situations and all of a sudden you're thrust into one where you have no control. Mm -hmm. And as far as money, fuck money. You couldn't buy your way out of this. Mm -hmm. There was nothing that could be done. Every bit of material gain in the world was out the window. Every bit of anything that we normally consider important was out the window. And that's where, you know, health is the most important thing you have. You can have every all the money in the world. You can have all this stuff. As soon as your health is compromised, you're, that's it. That's game over. Yep, health that, and time, right? That's exactly it. Money might help the, you know, like my parents um, helped, you know, when they came and, and helped us help financially and stuff in that situation. That was a tremendous help. It definitely eased worries, you know, financial worries and on top of everything else. So it definitely eased the transition, if you will, but. It just, it didn't mean anything, you know? Like, you don't even think of things the same. There's just nothing that means anything. And then, you know, so then on March 19th, I guess that was 2019, I believe. I'll be killed if I get this (laughs) wrong. Um, My daughter Hope was born. And she was born um, in... Guelph hospital actually. We moved to Guelph after we lived at my grandparents for a little bit after after we buried Alexander and that's where he is now in Wyarton. He's got the biggest gravestone in the cemetery. Um he's got plots with my grandparents so nice. th- they're going to be there with him. Um they're still, you know, living. Once they pass, they'll be there with him and um and that's where he is right now and that was uh angela and myself and everyone decided on that she said you know this is is his home and this is where he'll rest and uh um which i mean for her i don't think i touched on this yet but she's from greece she's born and raised in greece she's from a little island called zakynthos in greece so (laughs) Here she is, you know, thrust into this crazy family of mine, which is a nutcase fucking family. We're very eccentric <laughs> and out there, and she's one of us now. She she definitely holds her own.
0: Coming uh, from a completely different culture. Completely
1: really. different culture, and then now to, you know, have her son buried here. And I think of those things, too, of how it must have really been tough on everything I was going through was probably 10 times more exaggerated on what she, with what she was going through. Yeah. Being a foreigner in this foreign land and, and having these things and not having a lot of her family there. She has a tumultuous relationship with her parents, her father's in Greece. So, so when she went through this, it was just my family, which is our family. Now we're all family. Yeah. And, and when you go through something like that, you'll, it will bind you together as well. You know, you can't come out of something like that and, and you know, in situations that you see the good the bad and the ugly yeah. you see every fucking thing
0: yeah, it's hard to neglect those feelings absolutely
1: cuz my father took the same route as me he was hitting the booze like there was no tomorrow and we were very very similar in that way you know and that that that's something i would have definitely if i had the mindset i have now i would handle things very very differently but that i i credit my son with he in the 14 months he had on this earth which is so crazy. It's nothing. He taught me more than probably anyone ever has, and he's given me more. It just took a while to see what it was, Mm -hmm. but he helped me straighten my life out with his presence, with him being here, with the profound impact he had on my life. And, you know, I became a very religious man after this as well. Many people get kind of further and further away from that type of thought. But for me, I would say I became a very, very more religious person from this. Hmm. And we started going to church. Um, uh, church actually just down the street, Timothy Christian school, everything shut down right now, but that was where we started going to church. And, um, I have a very different view of religion than most. And, and, uh, I'm sure that, you know, me, you and Mike could probably do a whole (laughs) podcast on, you know, spitballing some ideas on these type of things. And uh, but it really told me that there's something more out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't know what it is, obviously. We'll never know. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, here's, you know, the deal about God. And here's why you have to believe. And here's the one true religion and one true God. And I won't get into any of that but I study religion. I started studying all the world's religions because I said, I want to find out what objective truth is, objective reality. If there is one, I started studying all kinds of different things, psychology, philosophy, religion, you know, physics, cosmology, anything to get closer to the truth, whatever that may be. And, you know, it leads you down a bit of a rabbit hole, but I think I'm a better person for these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you definitely want to give back to your community as well. Because I figure there's two roads you could take when you come off something like this or when you go through something like this. You can either become jaded as fuck and you can just say, this world is shit. It's miserable. This is all you get. And then you die. That's easy to do, believe it or not. That's the easiest thing to do. If You go through tragedy and you just throw in the towel and you say, you know... Just I'm curling a, up in that just, ball, right? Just curling up in that ball and I'm just going to be miserable and I'm just going to say fuck this because I've been handed a shitty deal. Yeah, I was I was definitely uh, handed a, a shitty hand to play and I played it. And that's all you can do. But for me, I took the other path to say, let me be grateful for what I have and what I had. Let me try to help others if I can. Let me try to give back. Let me try to embody positivity let me try to and i mean i'm not trying to profess that i do this every day i can be a miserable prick too you know we all can right but to try to do that more than the other approach of just being miserable but i did take that approach for a while i just wanted to crawl into a bottle and die Mm -hmm. and if it probably wasn't for angela being pregnant and knowing that hope was on the way I don't know what would have happened. Hmm. I might've taken a dark turn. You know, I talked about wanting to kill myself and all this stuff. And I don't know. I don't know if I would have ever actually went through with that or if that was just, you know, emotions talking at the time, but that was how I felt at the time. Wow. And then I had to say, look, if you, if you did that, when you have a kid on the way, then you're the biggest fucking coward in this world Mm -hmm. and you deserve to rot in the grave. Mm -hmm. But, I knew there's going to be a beautiful girl coming into this world who's going to need a dad. With every downfall, there's always the up uphill climb. That's right? That's exactly it, and that's why I said. And Angela, she'll still tell anyone that to this day that that Alexander is responsible for Hope. You know, he had something to do with it in some form or fashion. And it sounds very mystical, but I believe it too. Yeah, she's a spitting image of him, and it's just like this is a chance. To do it right, and that's why I said it, but when I see her making these tremendous strides and really living like she's such a little girl now, you know, she's has full-blown conversations with you and all these things that we didn't get to do with him. Yeah. He wasn't ever to actually ever able to speak a word. He would, you know, giggle and these types of things, and he could communicate, but he he loved his mother. He was such a mama's boy. Yeah. Hope, same thing, but he loved Angela, and he would just, they had such a connection. Born on the same day, such a beautiful connection. That's beautiful. And it just, I don't know, it's just one of these things, you know? And then, so of course, you know, then we moved to to Owen Sound, and um, I'm really happy here, actually. You know, it it was something where I was like, I don't want to be that close to you know, where I grew up. And it's just like, I, I thought I'd moved away from all that. And I'm glad to really be back around here and live in just a simple lifestyle. You know, I go to work, I have my beautiful daughter and Angela, and we, we live a pretty simplistic lifestyle, you know, and obviously, since you guys came here and opened the gym, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And this is an opportunity for me to come in and help out, you know, and teach something that I know about and I'm good at. And
0: Spread some slick knowledge. That's exactly <laughs> it,
1: man. Come in and drop knowledge. And it's such a beautiful thing to give back in that aspect. And I love working with the kids too, you know? And is it hard for me when I see some of the young kids, like young boys especially? Obviously, I think about my son. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do believe I'll see him again. And that's something I definitely take comfort in. I'm a believer in the afterlife. I won't uh, specify on how it happens, you know, the metaphysics of it. But... Um, you know, I definitely believe at some capacity we'll, we'll meet again, and I definitely take comfort in that for sure, you know?
0: Yeah. but uh, Absolutely.
1: Well, we love having you here, man. Oh, honestly, it's, it's a blessing. When I found out that it was, you know, here and just around the corner, this is not only great for me, but great for the community. Yep. This is a beautiful thing, and that's one thing. Boxing was able to pull me out of that dark place. I believe it can do the same thing for lots of uh, young people around here, and obviously – we have a drug issue around on sound. There's no yeah. question, right? Like there's issues and kids need to start coming into the gym. Kids need to start coming in here, blowing off steam in here. Stay away from that other shit. Yeah. That, that's just going to lead to, well, there's only two places it can go, the grave or jail, you know? Or you just end up, uh, end up some burnt out, you know, 50-year-old rotting away on the street corner, you know? still looking for the next fix. Yeah. And that's no way to live. You know, that's a living version of hell. So it's just, it's no good. So I think that this is going to be a force of positivity in the community. I always tell you and your dad, this you know, tell you that. And, uh, I just wanted to proliferate from here and really pick up and, and have more and more people come in and, Hopefully once, you know, Boxing Ontario opens up and everything, start having some shows, and I think that'll really, really be a good thing. Yeah, I can't wait for that, man. That's going to be really, really nice. The Next step. That's really, really going to be nice. And, um, yeah, I think it'll just be a great thing, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been good, man. I think uh, as long as there's nothing else that you want to... Say so I think we can wrap her up. I think uh, so. I
1: think that's <laughs> that's pretty. That's about as heavy as we need to get yeah. for right now. You know, and like I said, I'm sure we'll do this again. We got many more subjects we can touch on and whatnot. But as far as you know, my life and giving people a little bit of insight into the the uphill battles and and just to reiterate what you know, mono mono is about. You know, Drake is out here trying to let people know that everybody goes through these struggles, but. You, it's up to you to let it break you or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not gonna sit here, like I said, and profess that I did it all on my own by the grace of God, the love of a good woman, the love of good parents, friends, etc., cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. We're all there. It's it was a an interdisciplinary approach that you know raised me up in those times of need. So I don't want to say I did it myself. And that's why I'm very aware that if anyone else out there needs help, I'm I'm going to offer a hand if I can. And I know you will. Your father, this is what needs to be done. So anyone who's struggling or anything, don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. And don't be afraid to... Um, to talk about it, I'm a big proponent of just wearing my heart on my sleeve. I don't. That's why I wasn't worried about. You know, I remember you said, you know, is there anything we don't want to touch on? No, man. You know, my motto: let it all hang out. Yeah, and that's that's what I do. So, you know, anyone who's out there who needs help with anything, just ask for help. Don't don't ever be scared of that.
0: You know. Yeah, and and know that you're you're the first person to to make that decision. You know, or you have to be the first person to make that decision. Absolutely, it all starts with you.
1: Yeah, we all want to be tough, but you know. Tough will only take you so far.
0: Yeah, very true. Yeah. Anyway, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. That was, uh, it was a, a beautiful podcast. <laughs> thank you, brother. I it really was, appreciate
1: uh, you having me here, like I said, any anytime.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure, like you said, we'll have uh, a bunch more. No doubt. We'll start a series up.
1: For sure, for sure.
0: But anyway, thank you all for listening. Check out the social medias and uh, have a great day.